Good day, and welcome to the Cruise Lines International Association IMO 2020 Media Call. Today's conference is being recorded. At this time, I would like to turn the conference over to Ms. Barry. You may go ahead. Thank you. Hi, everybody, and thank you for joining us today for a conversation on the cruise industry, IMO 2020, and where we go from here. My name is Barry Goldenblatt, and I'm Senior Director of Strategic Communications here at CLIA. I've spoken to many of you at one point or another, but for those of you I haven't met yet, it's nice to be with you virtually today. Um, I want to give a shout-out to my colleague, Julie Green, who is our Vice President of Strategic Communications based in Europe. We are thrilled that so many of you could join us today. We hope to do many of these, um, many more of these in the future and hope you will see us, Julie, as well as our maritime policy colleagues as a resource going forward. Uh, I wanted to also acknowledge that there are a lot of things going on in the cruise industry right now, and I know some of you may have questions that are outside the purview of this call, which is specifically focused on the cruise industry's leadership and environmental sustainability, in part as demonstrated by its approach to IMO 2020 and the investments the industry has made in clean technology and energy. Again, Julie and I are here to serve as a resource, and we are happy to answer any questions you may have on other topics following the call. And if you have questions about specific lines, we can always connect you with the right people. And actually, many of our members are listening in as we speak and would be more than happy to answer any follow-up questions you may have. So with all that said, let's go ahead and get to business. Let me introduce you to my esteemed colleague, Brian Salerno, Vice Admiral Retired, who is a Senior Vice President for Maritime Policy at CLIA, and Donnie Brown, Commander Retired and Current Vice President for Maritime Policy at CLIA. Both Brian and Donnie have extensive experience working closely with maritime bodies, including the IMO, and they are truly a wealth of knowledge on the maritime technologies and environmental advancements taking place across the cruise industry. So with that, let me turn it over to Brian to uh, get us started. Thank you, Barry, and hello to everybody on the line. Uh, I thought I would begin by describing what is meant by the term IMO 2020 and why that is so important. When people are referring to IMO 2020, when they use this term, what they're referring to is a global restriction on the content of sulfur in fuel oil, which as of January 1st of 2020 is limited to 0.5%. This is down from 3.5%, which was allowable prior to January of this year. So it's a significant reduction. And it matters because as fuel oil undergoes combustion in an engine, it produces sulfur oxides in the exhaust, and it is these sulfur oxides that can potentially contribute to adverse health effects in human beings if inhaled. So reducing the production of sulfur oxides and by extension, particulate matter, which is closely related to it, is the rationale behind the sulfur limit in fuel oil. The lower the sulfur content, the less sulfur oxide and particulate matter is produced. The sulfur limit is an international requirement established by the maritime nations of the world at the International Maritime Organization, or IMO. The particular body of regulations where this new requirement is found is called the International Convention for the Prevention of Pollution from Ships. That's a fairly long title, so it's more commonly referred to as MARPOL. MARPOL 
is further divided into six annexes, each of which tackles a particular type of pollution, such as oil or garbage or sewage. And Annex 6 of MARPOL specifically addresses air emissions, and it is there that the sulfur regulations are found, among others. The Annex 6 regulations are not actually new. Uh, they originally came into force in 2005 with the intent of curtailing ship emissions that, as mentioned, could contribute to human health problems and other issues such as, as acid rain. The rules address not only sulfur, but also nitrogen oxides, particulate matter, and, as we will describe in just a few minutes, greenhouse gases, which are not a pollutant in the traditional sense, but which do contribute to climate change. Although Annex 6 came to effect in 2005, it was further strengthened in 2008 to set in motion a series of increasingly stringent uh, requirements for fuel oil sulfur content. The most recent restriction prior to 2020 occurred back in 2012, which brought in the 3.5% sulfur limit. Prior to that, it had been 4.5%. So again, the reduction to 0.5%, which occurred uh, the first of this month, is, a, is significant not only for the maritime industry, which had to, had to adjust to it, but also to the refiners and the fuel suppliers, which also needed to make that compliant fuel available. So, again, the, the objective of the sulfur limit is to reduce pollution from air emissions. The standardized approach is to use fuel that complies with the sulfur limit. But there are other allowable ways to achieve the same beneficial effect. And my, my colleague, Donnie Brown, will now describe those other alternatives to you. Donnie? Thank you very much, Brian. Good morning, everybody. I would like to speak to the three primary means by which the cruise industry is complying with the new 0.5% global sulfur cap, or IMO 2020. The first is, of course, by use of compliant fuel. Fuel oil with a sulfur content at or below 0.5% sulfur must be used in order to curtail pollutants in engine exhaust emissions. In designated emission control areas, however, sulfur content is further limited to no more than 0.1% sulfur. The cruise industry already has extensive experience operating in areas subject to the more stringent 0.1% sulfur requirement. Ships must use compliant fuel or an approved alternative that achieves the same beneficial results. One of those approved alternatives, an equivalent means of compliance, is exhaust gas cleaning systems. Exhaust gas cleaning systems process emissions from ships to almost completely remove sulfur content and significantly reduce particulate matter found in exhaust. There are a number of different types of systems, and the technical processes vary for each, including the chemistry for how the pollutants in the exhaust are mitigated. These systems are subject to certification by the flag state, the administration, and subject to guidelines produced by the IMO, and they're subject to inspection by port state control authorities in the ports where ships visit. Exhaust gas cleaning systems have been found by multiple studies to be safe for the marine environment, including when operated in open loop mode. The third means of compliance is LNG, 
liquefied natural gas fuel, has virtually zero sulfur emissions. There are currently two cruise ships within the CLIA ocean-going fleet using LNG for primary propulsion, with 25 more that are currently under construction or on order. CLIA members utilize all three means in order to comply with emission requirements for both the 0.5% global sulfur cap, IMO 2020, and the more stringent 0.1% emission control areas. In fact, some cruise companies use more than one approach, or all three, across the ships in their fleets. The goal, whether using compliant fuel, LNG, or an equivalent means like exhaust gas cleaning systems, is to ensure compliance. My colleague Brian will describe industry preparations, including more about cruise industry experience in the ECAs, and experience with fuel oil suppliers. Back to you, Brian. Hey, thanks, Donnie. Well, as, as mentioned a few minutes ago, the, the new sulfur limit is something that the, the international shipping community has seen coming for several years. And forward-looking companies have long been preparing for it. This is especially true for the cruise industry. Cruise ships make more frequent port visits than other large ocean-going ships, and, and we tend to more closer to population centers than, than other commercial vessels. We also tend to operate for longer periods in those specially designated emission control areas that, that Donnie just mentioned, where the pollution controls are even more stringent than the new global standard. Within the EGA, you know, the standard is 0.1% of sulfur, and there's actually four established ECAs globally. Uh, all of them are where cruise ships typically operate, including all around North America, a uh, portion of the Caribbean, the North Sea, and the Baltic. Uh, the Mission Control Area Standard has been in place for, for several years. Uh, for these reasons, the cruise industry has been an early adopter of the new technologies that Donnie described. Now, in the run-up to 2020, it was clear that international shipping would place new demands on the fuel supply chain. There were serious concerns as to whether there would be sufficient supplies of compliant fuel to meet the anticipated surge in demand. But within the cruise industry, we were reasonably confident that those ships that were, would be relying on compliant fuel as opposed to other approved means would find the fuel available and in sufficient quantity and, and of sufficient quality. This is because uh, cruise ships generally rely on regular sources of supply, which in turn are typically cemented through long-term contracts. That confidence appears to have been well-placed, at least so far. Uh, we in CLIA have not received any reports of problems from our members as the world has transitioned to IMO 2020. On a broader scale, there have been a few media reports regarding poor fuel quality and some isolated incidents not involving the cruise industry. But overall, the IMO has indicated that in a statement issued just last week that the transition to the new standard seems to have gone very, very well. So despite those isolated incidents, overall things are proceeding uh, very well. However, the, you know, the emphasis on reducing envir the environmental footprint of cruise ships and on ships in general does remain a top priority. You know, we are not done with our environmental efforts. 
And Donnie, I'll turn it back over to him now. He will offer a, a glimpse into the, the ongoing work in this area. So, Donnie? Thanks again, Brian. Uh, it's really important to note that the cruise industry's focus goes well beyond compliance with IMO 2020. Um, noting, however, we were uh, supportive at the IMO for the uh, global sulfur cap, the 0.5% limit, uh, as well as the uh, forthcoming uh, carriage ban, unless you have an alternative means of compliance. Uh, but as you may also know, there's been significant activity at the IMO to develop an initial strategy for reduction of greenhouse gases, prim primarily carbon emissions from international shipping. These efforts are focused on short and long-term efforts. So the initial strategy uh, was confirmed a couple of years ago, and it set some ambitious initial targets, including a reduction in carbon intensity or the rate of carbon emissions by at least 40% by 2030, pursuing efforts towards 70% by 2050. This is compared to the 2008 levels uh, using uh, CO2 emissions per transport work as an average across international shipping. Uh, another major tenant of the IMO initial strategy was a reduction in total greenhouse gas emissions, actual emissions from international shipping by at least 50% by 2050, again compared to 2008, and reducing those emissions to zero as soon as possible this century. So these efforts are really forward-looking. They're distinguished from the uh, reduction of the air pollution, like sulfur and NOx, um, particulate matter, and are focused more on uh, commonly known as carbon reduction. For its part, the cruise industry pledged its commitment for our sector by aligning with the IMO carbon intensity reduction target, that reduction in the rate of carbon emissions, and the cruise industry developed a sector-specific metric based on passengers carried, distance traveled, and fuel consumed by type, and we presented that commitment and the metric to the IMO for consideration. The industry tracked its progress towards the commitment and is on track towards our goal, while noting that reaching 40% reduction by 2030 will continue to be a challenge going forward. The cruise industry also recognizes that a robust research and development effort is necessary over the longer term to ultimately achieve those absolute reductions in carbon emissions to meet the IMO's goal of zero carbon emissions across the maritime fleet as soon as possible this century. CLIA has partnered with other maritime industry shipping associations to put forth a proposal to the IMO to establish a research and development board dedicated to working collaboratively across the maritime sector to identify the technologies and energy resources that will enable us to reach that goal, to find those zero carbon fuels and zero carbon propulsion technologies that don't exist today that are needed in order to meet the 2050 emission reduction goals. Funding from the industry for this proposal would generate roughly $5 billion over 10 years for research and development to drive towards solutions that are not available today. 
Now, the industry is also exploring technologies to mitigate its environmental impact, including through the use of shoreside electrical power, uh, fuel cell technologies, batteries, and other innovations. These efforts are ongoing, but the uh, clear message that CLIA and other associations were sending to the IMO in our proposal was that uh, we need research and development to drive real solutions for our industry in order to meet the IMO goals that we're committed to. Uh, with that, I'll, I'll pass it back over to Brian and, and the call coordinators, and uh, we can transition, I think, to the next part of the call. Yeah, and Barry, I, I think we're probably ready to go to questions uh, from uh, from the audience. Yes, so uh, thanks, Brian and Donnie. With that, um, I will let our call coordinator jump in to provide instructions to those um, on the call um, with regards to how to uh, ask the question. Yes, ma'am, thank you. If you would like to ask a question, please signal by pressing star 1 on your telephone keypad. If you're using a speakerphone, please make sure your mute function is turned off to allow your signal to reach our equipment. Again, press star 1 to ask a question. We'll pause for just a moment to allow everyone an opportunity to signal. Our first question comes from Ian Taylor with Travel Weekly Group. Uh, good afternoon. Actually, it's probably morning for you, isn't it? But it's afternoon for me in London. Um, could you explain to me why the uh, overriding choice of the cruise industry has been to use the uh, scrubbers, if we can call them that, for the um, purposes of this, rather than to move to com compliant fuel when that's the overwhelming choice in the shipping industry? So two questions, really. Why not move to compliant fuel? And or uh, if, if that's then not sufficient for when ships are in the emissions control area, why not move to compliant fuel at, uh, and use the, the scrubber technology just in the emission control area? This is Donnie Brown. Uh, thank you for your question, Ian. I uh, appreciate that. And uh, I think first I would I would say that the the decisions on which routes to take for compliance uh, is largely a business decision made by the individual companies who uh, install those technologies on their ships. But your observation that many ships have elected to install an exhaust gas clean as a means to comply is a business decision that was made in many cases. Years ago, ships were uh, and the companies were looking at how they could best comply with the forthcoming regulations in, in an environment that may have uh, at the time about uh, fuel availability and and prices, and uh, so that that could be one factor in their decision on which technology. To as well, I think, you know, what has been seen by the performance of these systems is that they remove 98% of the sulfur, well over 50% of the particulate matter from exhaust, up to 75%, and are a highly effective means of reducing air pollution. Uh, so it's, it's uh, been a decision that has also been very effective in its uh, environmental compliance, going above and beyond a number of respects. Um, and uh, it's not an, a decision made exclusively. The 
that ships even across the same brands and fleets uh, have multiple different types of um, uh, avenues towards compliance, including uh, clean systems, compliant fuel, or LNG. Thanks. Um, before, before we move on, operator, I believe we've got some feedback, so um, I would um, either remind the, um, the callers uh, when they have a question to then put their line on mute while the response is being provided so that there's no feedback. Or operator, if you could provide assistance in that way um, and put the caller um, on uh, listen-only mode at that point so the response can be heard by all. Certainly, if there's a follow-up question, um, anyone may then follow the instructions provided by the operator to then enter their name again to be able to ask that question. Yes, ma'am, will do. Our next question comes from Minus from Prothema. Good afternoon uh, from Athens. Uh, hope that uh, the sound is uh, clear. Uh, can I ask you what is CLIA's position concerning the possible designation of the Mediterranean Sea as a mission control area by the International Maritime Organization. And uh, what will this mean for countries uh, such as Greece? Thank you. This is Donnie Brown again. Thank you very much for your question. Uh, I think uh, we have um, coordinated with CLIA member lines on this issue, and it is the uh, position of the cruise industry that an emission control area in the Mediterranean, in all of the Mediterranean, uh, should be pursued. And that the pursuit of the Mediterranean ECA should be through the process established by the International Maritime Organization. Uh, each of the ECAs that are in place today, Brian described the four uh, that are in place, have followed that process. Uh, and it is, it is uh, deliberative but thorough, and uh, to achieve the the right implementation uh, and to ensure it is uh, uh, within MARPOL, uh, the International Treaty for uh, Environmental Matters at the IMO, uh, member states at the IMO should pursue uh, the the Mediterranean ECA, uh, and it would, in our view be applicable to the entire Mediterranean. Thank you. Our next question comes from Ian Taylor with Travel Weekly Group. Uh, hello, it's uh, me again from, from London. It, it's a follow-up to my previous question, if you'll forgive me, uh, two follow-up questions. Can, can you give us an idea of the comparison in cost between uh, using compliant fuel and using non-compliant fuel but utilizing EGCS uh, technology? And uh, tell us whether cost is a consideration in the decision of which way to, to go. And also, can you explain what happens in areas where there are bans on discharges from the EGCS uh, systems, um, a number of uh, nations have, have introduced uh, uh, bans on these. Thank you. Hi, Ian. Again, this is Donnie. Um, 
uh, hopefully my, my answer to the last, your first question came through. But in respect to, to these two questions, uh, I'm not in a position to speak to the uh, comparison of costs between uh, use of compliant fuel versus use of a, a heavier fuel with an exhaust gas cleaning system as an approved alternative means. Uh, but I will note that uh, uh, the various costs of technologies and the various types is a component of that, as well as uh, fluctuations in the fuel price. These are, for compliant fuel, uh, these are factors that can go into decision-making, but they don't stand in isolation. There could be a number of other factors, uh, not all of which I can speak to, that may drive that. That could be the uh, configuration of the ship and other machinery technology and such. Uh, but I, I'm afraid that's about the extent uh, I can offer to you in response to your first question. And then with regard to your second question, uh, acknowledging that there are uh, a, a limited number of, of places, those ports where cruise ships do call, that have imposed some limitations on the use of exhaust gas cleaning systems, uh, in some cases operating in uh, an open loop mode uh, from their operation in port. Um, I would I would say that there need there continues to be engagement between uh, companies and the industry and those port authorities to ensure that uh, decisions are made based on widely available information now, and and that information that we have and have shared publicly through several reports indicates that the exhaust gas cleaning systems and the wash water discharge, which is a component of open loops or systems operate in an open loop mode, uh, is safe both for the water column and for the sediments. Uh, we have very recently put forward to the International Maritime Organization uh, the CE Delft report, which was commissioned by the industry but conducted independently by CE Delft. Uh, based on, on samples taken from cruise ships operating systems that uh, clearly indicate what the impact over a longer time through accumulation of uh, use of these systems is in port waters and on sediment in port. And it's this information we think if, if uh, digested and uh, relied on clearly by authorities uh, across the globe uh, would show that there is no issue using these systems uh, in, in port. So, so such restrictions that we've seen uh, we think are unnecessary, and we, we hope that uh, authorities will continue and uh, divert their attention towards the actual science which is available and supportive of the technology. Thanks. Once again, if you would like to ask a question, you may signal by pressing star 1 on your telephone keypad. Once again, that is star 1 if you would like to ask a question. And our next question comes from Gary Noakes with Triple Trade Gazette. Oh, hi, Alex. Oh, I'm in London as well. Um, good afternoon. Um, I'm, I'm looking at a comparison with uh, the airline industry, and there, there aren't that many old air, aircraft flying around now, but I, 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 did, I was looking at a, a ship the other day, and um, 
it was still cruising the waterways and it had been built in 1946. Um, does this have any bearing on the industry's dirty emissions um, and what, what, um, what, uh, how the changes that, uh, that ships, uh, cruise lines are making in their fleets going to help with the position in the future? I'm not quite sure uh, we caught the question. Could could you restate that, please? I, I apologize. I, our audio came through a little garbled. Sorry about that. Um, my question is: uh, the airline industry has a lot of old air. Uh, has, uh, so, unlike the airline industry, which is, is updating its fleet, the, the shipping industry has a lot, a lot of old cruise line liners still plying their trade. Um, is that a factor at all in uh, in how in how the industry is perceived? Do you think? Are you asking, I'm sorry, just for clarification, is the question related to um, the age of aircraft and the age of ships? I think we heard something related to that, but again, we apologize. There is some disruption on the line. Okay. Yes, that's roughly my question, yes. The, the, the cruise industry, it's interesting, a lot of new vessels, but at the same time, there are a lot of very old ones still, uh, still cruising the waters. All right. Yeah. Okay. This is uh, Brian Solero. Um, yeah. The uh, the age the average age of of uh, cruise ships, you know, in the CLIA fleet is is right around 14 years. Um, but that's the average. You know, there's some that are older, some that are brand new, and there's some that are still being born. Uh, you know, there's about you know there's, there's quite a number that are that are on the order books uh, to be built. So it, it's it's quite the range. The important thing with ships like aircraft is how well they are maintained, uh, you know, from a maritime safety perspective. Um, and I would say that it is it's certainly in the interest of, of of the cruise industry to keep them very well maintained. Uh, the industry makes uh, its living by continuous operations and no interruptions due to mechanical failures uh, and 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 so forth. So uh, age in itself is is not so much the issue. Uh, tastes do change over time, and as you see new ships coming out, there are different amenities that reflect uh, consumer demands, um, and you know so you're going to see some changes along those lines. Uh, some you know some tastes uh, influence you know the size of ships as well. You know having this experience of a of a very large ship with a lot of activities on board is very appealing to a, a lot of people. Others prefer smaller ships. So you see the full range. And, and, and so long as they're maintained and well-operated, which our ships are, uh, they, the lifespan is, uh, is several decades. So, Donnie, did you have anything to add? Yeah, thanks, Brian. I, I couldn't agree more. I think I would just also uh, point out that uh, we've seen, of, of course, you know, with a new ship, um, they are building them more and more efficiently every day. So you have the opportunity to do that with a, a new ship in construction. But we also see that there's a lot of retrofitting efforts uh, of ships. Um, and to just give one example, uh, you know, we've seen that, say, 30% of the existing capacity of cruise ships are fitted to operate on shoreside electricity, okay? But we also know that based on just this past year's numbers, that an additional 
are scheduled to be retrofitted uh, with that capability. Uh, so even for an older ship, getting new technology installed on board that can achieve efficiency gains is possible. And then certainly with the newer ships coming online, that expands that future capacity even further to um, install innovative new technologies that can help achieve those efficiency gains. Um, and that's just one example of a, of a potential technology retrofit. There, there could be others. Thanks for your question, sir. Yeah, and, and just to confirm, did we answer your question? Uh, again, the audio quality was not very good coming through, so we were taking our best guess as to what the question was. Right, or you may need to open that line so that the, um, the um, uh, gentleman may uh, confirm or do a follow-up on that particular question. Yes, ma'am. If that gentleman would like to do a follow-up, unfortunately, he would need to re-queue into the question and answer by pressing star 1. Our next question comes from Michael Luigi with Freelancer. Yes, uh, good afternoon. This is uh, Mike Roger. I'm actually on one of the two uh, LNG-powered uh, ships for the moment in my cabin overlooking the Mediterranean, so that's uh, good news. <laughs> uh, my question is about uh, the Norwegian government. They decided to close a few fjords, like the Geranga fjords, in a couple of years for ships that are fossil fuel-powered. What is the cruise industry going to do to, to continue to go there? Well, uh, I'll start. This is Brian. Um, the the uh, our office in in uh, Brussels has been working extensively with the Norwegian government uh, to find a way forward on uh, cruise ship activity in Norway. We're very respectful of the needs to protect the, the world heritage fjords in Norway. Uh, working very closely with uh, with the national government in Norway, as well as the, the port cities uh, in those areas. Um, so being respectful of the destination uh, and working with them to find a viable solution has been an, an ongoing effort. Uh, Norway has uh, established some additional con controls, which will make it um, difficult for some existing ships to operate in all areas. But we're, uh, again, as new ships come online, uh, and there are, uh, you know, for example, the LNG ships, which really solve many of the uh, air emission concerns uh, that remain in, in very confined areas, uh, such as the World Heritage Fjords. I think those, those areas you know, can still be accessed by, by cruise ships. Um, so th this is an ongoing issue. Um, it's, it's not fully solved, but uh, what I'll say is it's, it is a, a subject of of ongoing and continuous dialogue and, and uh, coordination uh, with local authorities. Her next question comes from Ian Taylor with Travel Weekly Group. Uh, hello again. I had a follow-up question to the previous question from London about shoreside power. This is obviously a, a good option in, in port, but isn't the limitation that so few ports and 
often uh, limited number of berth imports can offer these facilities. My understanding is that only 16 ports and only three outside North America can offer shoreside power. So what's happening to increase the number of ports that can uh, offer this? Good afternoon again, Ian. This is Donnie. Uh, you're exactly right that uh, despite the uh, growing capability of cruise ships to uh, that with that capability, um, there are uh, a limited number, 16 globally in, in ports where cruise ships call that have uh, uh, the ability to provide the, the infrastructure to meet the needs of cruise ships for shore power. But uh, I, I think we not only continue to see uh, shoreside interest in installing that uh, capability, but uh, but the industry works with those um, interested ports to uh, to identify uh, the solutions uh, to to clearly articulate what the needs would be for the ships that call there, so that the necessary infrastructure can be pursued. And recognizing that that certainly takes time, uh, but certainly something we hope to see continue to grow to meet the capability of these ships that are operating on global itineraries and uh, able to, in many cases, um, plug in where that power is available uh, in the ports they call. But it, it certainly requires ongoing coordination with uh, port stakeholders to identify the infrastructure to, uh, to meet those needs. Our next question is Mr. Ann Taylor. Yeah, yeah, I just wanted to follow up on that. Do you expect to see uh, any additional ports uh, provide onshore power facilities in the next 12 months or two years? Thanks again for your question, Ian. Uh, I, I don't have the information available to me on exactly what the timelines are for ports, our members do engage with them uh, directly in many in many instances, and uh, I am aware that uh, uh, there are ports that are considering it, but uh, but I can't put it on a timeline of, of 12 months or uh, or a matter of, of years. Just that uh, that interest is there. That uh, the process for identifying funding for internal uh, infrastructure and development uh, takes time, but we are. We are um, thankful that that interest continues, and, uh, and especially as that is a viable technology that, that provides an alternative to ships uh, using their generator and burning fuel while they're in port. So we, we hope that it continues. Thank you. If you would like to ask a question, you may signal by pressing star 1 on your telephone keypad. Our next question comes from Minnes with Parthema. Hello again uh, from Athens. Uh, I want to ask if you believe there will be a strict implementation of the new CAP by the IMO member states. Thank you very much.
Uh, yeah, this is this is Brian. Uh, our, our expectation is that there will be uh, a strict implementation uh, of this. Certainly, we expect that in Europe. Uh, we certainly expect it in the United States, which are two uh, major markets for the cruise industry. And we have no indications that any of the IMO members uh, would fail to to uh, enforce the new requirement. So we are proceeding under the assumption that it will be enforced. Once again, if you would like to ask a question, you may signal by pressing star one. I am showing no further questions in the queue at this time. Great. Um, thank you, uh, everybody, so much for joining us today. And thank you to our operator for your assistance and making sure that everything went smoothly for our participants. Um, with that, I think we will wrap up this, this call, um, but of course, as I mentioned uh, in my opening remarks, should you have any follow-up questions or uh, wish to uh, speak in the future with Brian or Donnie or anybody else on our CF team, please um, do not hesitate to reach out. My contact information is on our website at www.cruising.org, um, so please feel free to reach out with any questions, and with that, I hope everybody has a great rest of your day. We will be posting information oh, yeah. to follow up on the site. I, um, shortly, uh, in about an hour, we will be distributing the uh, press release as well as a FAQ document um, and an infographic, which uh, can be used as a resource for you for any um, stories you may be writing, but also that will be made available um, on our website tomorrow. So we're going to give a full 24 hours advanced copy um, to this group who was able to join us today. Um, so thank you again for that. And again, please reach out with any questions. And with that, yeah, I'll just echo everybody. Thank you for um, taking the time. We know that some of you on your evening hours and, uh, or in your late afternoon hours and others are on yeah. cruise ships where I'm standing, which is very nice. Um, we would look forward to holding more of these calls to keep you up to date. And certainly, if you have topics that you'd like us to consider in the future, um, please send that to um, the media team here, and we'll incorporate that into the agendas. Thank you again for your interest. Thank you, everyone. This concludes today's call. Thank you for your participation. You may now disconnect.